open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. And as part of our US Open coverage, Kim and I are taking a little AG1 challenge of our own. And we'll be updating you on our AG1 journey and how it's improving our health and wellness. So Kim, you've now started on AG1. How are you finding it? I'm loving it, Chris. I recently went to the Lake District for a long weekend. And I love the fact that I could just take the travel packs with me. They fit nicely into my weekend bag. And it meant I could still approach my my daily nutrition in exactly the same way wherever I am in the in the country. Yeah, I mean, I left the country, I took mine to New York and I think you'll agree that at the tennis, uh, you don't always have the most healthy food available. So I definitely needed that nutritional top up. And so if you're looking for a comprehensive solution for your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's US Open quarterfinals catch-up, sponsored by AG1. Ben Shelton wins the All-American battle. Sabalenka is yet to drop a set. And Djokovic makes a record 47th semi-final. Chris, today is the 6th of September. We are here to catch up on the quarterfinal action from the US Open here at Tennis Weekly HQ. It's myself and um, and you today. Joel is is off today. Uh, and it's good for me to be back because I know you, you've both been... Um, you know, holding the four at Tennis Weekly HQ over the last week. And you're back from from US from the US Open, from New York. You've landed safely back in Copenhagen. Very exciting. I'm I'm so pleased you were out on the grounds to, you know, explore and report back for Tennis Weekly. But how are you doing now that you're you're back to reality post uh, Grand Slam? There is a bit of a come down, I think, because the intensity over in uh, New York is much, much different. I think whether you're at the tennis, it's pretty intense. There's an awful lot going on, an awful lot of people and the same with New York. And I feel like coming back to Copenhagen, it's a bit like, where's, where is everyone? Um, it's just so quiet over here. But I've been watching a lot of the tennis since I got back. And it's one of those things you don't really feel like you were there. Like, I feel like I stepped into the TV and now I don't really think I ever went um, as life goes on. But you've also been away, Kim. Um, you were out in the lakes as well. Did you manage to catch any of the action? I did. So I went to the Lake District and actually for me, the the tennis was really well timed because I could go out, do some walking in the day, uh, you know, explore because it was quite nice weather. And then I'd get back for my sort of, you know, afternoon cup of tea, bit of cake and put the tennis on. So it was just the right time. And then I could just chill in like the cottage and watch the tennis of, of an evening. So it was a much needed break. Um, but I'm pleased that you both, you know, that you had a, had a great time as well. And, you know, what, what was your best sort of match or like, what was the highlight from your trip? Like, was there a particular player that impressed you the most from everyone that you saw? That I mean, I probably would have to say the Petra Kvitova versus Caroline Wozniacki match. I really enjoyed that. I think that was when we all started to take that comeback a bit more seriously. That was a really great contest and thought that both players played pretty well in that. And it was just almost like a stepping into, you know, 2013, which I thought kind of gave it that extra special feel. And uh, it was great to see kind of a player that you're so familiar with who has added something to their game and 
everyone was very pleased to have her back in. It's great to see her be welcomed back in. The crowd was so kind of lively for that one, but that would be one. And then I think probably this, there was a beautiful sunset when I was out on grandstand watching Casper actually lose, but um, it was a stunning scenery for that match. And it kind of felt like a, a really magical postcard moment. So I'd say the best tennis that I enjoyed was Wozniacki, but the best picture um, goes to grandstand on a sunset. So, And would you have perhaps, whilst enjoying the sunset, had, had a, a honey juice while you were there, Chris? Because we've got to talk about this. It is... It's like the US Open version of of Pims, isn't it? It's it's their iconic drink that the that you have to have if you're there. So, were you able to sample a bit of of the honey juice? It's everywhere. I mean, they sell it in cans in New York City as well. Even at the airport, they're giving people samples of it. So, they really do a big push. It's um it's honey juice, but it's spelt juice as in 40 all in tennis. So, D E U C E. So, you see what they did there, Kim? Yeah, and it's not just juice, there is alcohol, so don't be giving it to any kids. I think probably they couldn't <laughs> call it juice because of that reason, maybe for legal reasons. But what it has in it, it has a mixture of vodka, lemonade, raspberry liqueur, and then it's garnished with three melon balls. So it's um, that's very refreshing and it does taste as refreshing as it sounds. Um, I think you're able to tell just how wealthy someone is by how many of these glasses they have stacked up because on the outside of them, people keep them. It has all of the previous champions. And so some people pile them up high and at $22 a pop, um, some people have spent a small fortune on the honey juice. So be careful um, because you can get carried away and then the bill might not be something that you're looking forward to seeing on your credit card afterwards. I wonder if they do the return your cup and get like $2 back uh, like they do at Wimbledon. I I'm not sure if you saw that them. I, think, I think they keep oh, them, right. yeah. <laughs> Souvenirs. Um, well, I like the sound of it. I've not been to the US Open. It's like the, the one remaining slam. So I will ensure that I have a honey juice when I do go and, well, we can and maybe I'll compare it to a Hugo. Oh yeah, yes. I could make one myself. That's I've got true. the recipe right here. Maybe I'll do that on the weekend uh, when the finals are on uh, as a sort of toast. Give us the verdict. To the... Melon I'll balls give you and the all. Verdict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have to go and source some melon balls. Um, but no, I'm glad you're you're back. Uh, you've had your cocktail, and you know you had good weather as well, right? It's, it was pretty Stunning. pretty decent and not weather, as humid so... as it is now. It's pretty intense, I believe, in New York and also in London. Yeah, yeah, London. It's it's is pretty hot. Um, we've got kind of one final week of summer, so recording this quite hot uh, at the moment. Uh, it's just as well Joel's not here because I know he, oh, he, he struggles quite a bit <laughs> in the room that he records from. Um, but one one other thing that caught my eye um, recently was that Naomi Osaka, we've seen her um, back at the US Open. Uh, she's watching Medvedev versus Rublev, I think, as we speak, as we record this. So um, she's been back to, I think, speak at a, a mental health forum um, with Michael Phelps, the, the swimmer which is exciting uh, but it's just good to see her back um making a bit of an appearance isn't it yeah absolutely and uh she's definitely someone who wanted to stay quite close to the game and she made it clear that having had her baby she's even more determined to come back to the tour and play tennis so this is another sign that she's going to be in australia and she really wants to stay close to the sport yeah well We'll, we'll look forward to her coming back. I mean, you know, we've seen how, how good Wozniacki's been, I think maybe better than some of us expected, you know, since coming back from her her break. So Definitely I guess- Definitely better we're, than we're... our collector set predictions. <laughs> I think most people thought she'd go out in round one or round two. 
Yes, myself included. We will get on to our collector set uh, update at the end of today's episode and we'll be revealing who's currently in the lead. So do uh, do stay tuned for that. Uh, let's look back, though, at the action from the quarterfinals so far. As we're recording this, we've we've got a couple more matches remaining, but most of them are done and we do have most of our semi-final lineup sorted. So let's look back at day nine's action. We had the two women's quarterfinals Yelena Ostapenko against Coco Goff and also Serana Castella against Karolina Mukova. Uh, let's start with Coco Goff against Ostapenko. I mean, both of these matches were fairly similar and, and pretty one-sided, so um, quite comfortable scorelines. Coco Goff, 6-love, six 6-2 six over Ostapenko in just 67 minutes. Ostapenko, having beaten Iga Svantec the round before, you know, knocking out the defending champion and the world number one. Um, coming up against Coco Goff, though, a completely different story. What do you think was, you know, the, the main reason for this for this scoreline, Chris? Because, you know, I expected a lot more from Ostapenko in this match. I really did as well. I think we all had high hopes for this because all the evidence pointed to it being one of those moments in the tournaments where she really got her act together and played some really tidy tennis. And that's something that we didn't really see kind of before this in the tournament for her. There were a few hiccups along the way for her and um, it looked like in that final set that she really kind of cracked the code. But it looks like the reality was she was particularly fired up, you know, to make a statement win in a night session match against the world number one when, you know, to make the point that she isn't just a, um, a one slam wonder, that she does have sort of big grand slam potential. And then to go out in the way that she did, I think it was such a shame that she couldn't find her game because in the previous round, she hit 31 winners and 20 unforced errors. And when she was told that she couldn't really believe how few errors she'd hit, um, which I mean, if you think about it, that was a three set match. And then in the match against Coco Goff, she actually managed to hit 36 unforced errors and it was six love, six two. So I think that pretty much tells the story of the match, Kim. Yeah. And uh, do you think that, you know, Ostapenko had had uh, the late night match on, uh, what was it? Not the previous night, but the, the night before that, when mm. she beat Fiontech. This match against Coco Goff, you know, was, was the first sort of match on, I think, Goff, uh, requested this this time slot so rather than the the night session do you think that might have um like not helped Ostapenko you know she's coming out she probably does better at the night session it might have been a bit flat sort of playing so early um being first up on ash do you think that had anything to do with it or do you think maybe it's just uh, something we've seen before getting that big win over world number one and just kind of not able to follow it up sort of having that let down afterwards I think there's always a risk of having a letdown after a standout performance. I do think, I mean, if you are, for example, Coco Goff, um, would you want to play a night match against Ostapenko at the US Open? Probably not. Would you rather play her in the day? It's a bit warmer. Um, Coco is one of the fittest players on the tour. Um, Ostapenko is in great... I mean, she doesn't have any problems when she plays three set matches at all physically, but it's probably the heat is something that Goff is probably more used to. I mean, Latvia gets slightly warm. But I'm not sure it hits <laughs> some of the heights um, of the places that Coco trains in. So I do think it probably doesn't lead to perfect preparation. I mean, these are athletes going to bed at 3 a.m. I mean, there were still being things posted on Ostapenko stories like 3.30 a.m. So that's not exactly the perfect sleeping preparation before one of the biggest matches of your career and the adrenaline sort of come down from that. But as we've seen before with Ostapenko, she can win a match wonderfully and lose the next one badly. And she beat Coco 
in Australia. She had a great run to the quarterfinals there and then she didn't necessarily make an impact past that. So we're seeing signs of improvements. Scheduling didn't help, I wouldn't say, but at the same time, um, Ostapenko would have been beaten by almost anybody if she put those numbers together. Yeah, exactly. It, it, they weren't pretty, whichever way you look at it. And, you know, without wanting to take away from Coco Goff, because she has played, you know, great tennis this tournament, like her run of form, as we've said, like several times since Wimbledon has been almost perfect, you know, 16 of 17 matches she has won since that loss to Kenin in the first round at Wimbledon. She's got, you know, new coach Pere Reba on board, Brad Gilbert's kind of working as a, as a consultant and we know his, you know, his caliber and how successful he's been. And what I love is just the fact that, you know, Coco Goff has come out to say that one of the things that Brad Gilbert said to her is she just needs to, essentially smile more and, and enjoy the game um, rather than being so serious and, and so focused. And I think we're really getting to see that coming out of, you know, this tournament. She's she's enjoying it and obviously she's focused on getting good results. But if you don't have that love of the game, which is why you started picking up a racket in the first place, those results just aren't going to come. And, you know, how, how important do you think that mindset has been, you know, over the, the, the past kind of 10 days or so? Well, I mean, if they're saying there hasn't been a technical change to the forehand, that's slightly surprising. But I guess <laughs> maybe it's a case that, you know, previously we've seen Coco get into those tight matches and she looks very visibly stressed. She doesn't look like a Caroline Wozniacki who's in a tight match, who looks like she's dialed in and loves the fight. She's really look, enjoying the battle there. And I think with Coco, it's always looked a bit like um, she's concerned that this is going to get away from her. And I think that that is something that's so different in this tournament because she looks like she's thriving in the third set of these matches and thriving in those moments where she has to turn it on, find another gear and turn the match around. And that's something that we haven't seen from her in such a long time since when she was probably, well, I say such a long time, she's 19, but probably when she was 15 or, or 16 coming on the tour when she really used to love um, the battle. And I think the expectation probably meant that she wasn't enjoying it as much. So even someone reminding you to have fun and this is enjoyable, I think clearly is underrated because uh, there's something about her where she talked about the fact she doesn't feel um, as emotionally drained at this stage of the slam. And I think that is because, you know, she she will be fine either way, whether she wins or whether she loses. It's not the end of the world. And as long as you enjoy yourself out there. But she did say there's a time to be serious as well. So it's not it's not all fun and games, Kim. Yeah, but if she if she were to get into you know the final, you want to enjoy that. You know, it's it's she's she would be into a Grand Slam final as a teenager on home soil. You know, and if you can only solely focus on the outcome of that and not actually enjoy the process and that that you know actually being there, then be you, you know you're not regret. kind of living in the present moment, are you? Yeah. So I think it's such a it is a really healthy mindset to take and just focus on the here and now and, and enjoying it and. How long may it continue for Coco Golf? Because it's it's clearly working well so far. So we'll see if that continues. But she will face Karolina Mukova in the semi-final. Um, that will be a repeat of the Western and Southern Open final in Cincinnati, which Coco Golf won in straight sets. Um, so they are battling out again quite soon after that. Uh, and Mukova got her place in the semi-final in another sort of straightforward result, six love, six three over Serana Castella. Uh, Castella, obviously, earlier in the tournament, she beat um, Elena Rabakina. So, Mukova coming through pretty comfortably. She 
has now made the semi-finals or better at three of the four majors. Um, so she her good her good season continues to to go well. Obviously, she got to the French Open final, and now she finds herself in into the semis of the U.S. Open. Um, both her and, and Coco Goff, you know, two of the sort of standout players of, of late as well, really. Um, but what did you make of this particular match? Did you expect more from Castella or was this always in, in kind of Mukova's hands to lose, given that Castella is, you know, was the kind of unseeded um, sort of surprise uh, entity, I suppose? Yeah, she definitely was um, lower in, in the rankings at the moment, but she's always dangerous and... I think the matchup with Mukova is a very bad matchup for her in the sense there's so much variety that comes from it comes from Mukova's racket and I've seen it with Murray um, when he was playing against Dimitrov and the slice really did neutralize a point at the US Open. I think the amount of slice that Mukova was using meant that uh, Kristea had to make all of the, her own power um, and that just led to a situation where uh, a lot of unforced errors, it was very difficult, you know, she definitely likes a player to give her a lot of pace, like a Rebecca, she kind of thrives in those sorts of situations. So the scoreline, I wasn't expecting a bagel, that's for sure. I was expecting probably two relatively close sets because Kristea has been serving pretty well this tournament. But in terms of Mukova, I think it's just so great to see that she has backed up that French Open final because there was a little bit of a wobble after that. And I think um, naturally she was so close to, to coming to kind of achieving one of the biggest dreams she probably had. And I think it's just worthy kind of saying at this point that last year she was ranked 235 in the world um, with a series of kind of really serious injuries. And now she's back in the top 10 and she's into a second semifinal at a major. So... It feels like the talent that you saw all those years ago when you predicted her to win the French Open, it's coming through, Kim. <laughs> I did, yeah. I mean, maybe she will actually, you know, go all the way at the French uh, eventually. But um, yeah, she's really had a breakthrough over, well, since she kind of came through a few years ago. And obviously that injury she had derailed her, which meant her ranking did drop down, like you said, to the 235 in the world. But it feels like she's finally getting back to like where she her trajectory always was, you know, going, but now she's into the top 10. So it will be interesting because both her and Goff, you know, they've been to one Grand Slam final each, which is at the French Open. And now they're, you know, both vying for a place in their second Slam final. Um, and, you know, Coco Goff has that recent result over over Mukova, which should give her a lot of confidence. However, she she has said, you know, Mukova in that match was um, very physically kind of struggling. So, it's going to be a different kind of ball game uh, this time round because, you know, they've got a day in between to, to rest since their quarterfinal matches. So Goff has said, you know, she's not going to just obviously assume that um, because she won a few weeks ago that it's 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 uh, going to be comfortable because Mukova was, uh, you know, very, very much fatigued in, in Cincinnati. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to quickly touch upon, um, Chris, from the Mukova quarterfinal, she did take a very long break at the end of the first set. So she'd won the first set six love, you know, probably don't think there's an, a, a drastic need to, to have a long uh, bathroom break. Um, but there was a bit of consternation on, on social media that, you know, she was kind of taking the piss I suppose um, <laughs> by taking such a long break you know she took a change of clothes with her and you know she's sort of having I guess you know toilet breaks plus a, a change of clothes which sort of means that you're able to kind of have that slightly extended break but what did you make of this do you think it's pure tactics or you know do you think that she's you know players should be entitled to just go off and and um, take that time if, if they 
if they want to. I think it's a, it's a tricky one because, I mean, the nature of the rule is that it's a toilet break and you get a set amount of time. And if you're changing clothes, you get an additional amount of time. So it seems that if you are looking, and I'm not saying that she was looking for kind of a tactical um, refocus sort of moment, um, because I do think that winning a set six love, um, I think Daniel Hachkova said this, is one of the worst things that can happen to you because the only way that's going to go is a little bit worse unless you double bagel someone. You know, it's going to be, there will be a hiccup in the next set probably because you're clearly playing fantastic tennis to get to that point or, you know, your opponent has played badly and their level might pick up. So... Um, I don't think it's the strangest time in the world to take that to take that break. But in terms of what I experienced in uh, New York would be very rarely would a set then start immediately. There was always an extended break. And no matter what stage of the match it was, whether it was the first set and we saw this with Medvedev against um, Dimonar, he lost that set badly. It was only one set and we're in an evening um, evening match. So it's the coolest it will be. And it's unlikely you need a change of clothes at that point. Um and so I do think that right now the rule is kind of allowing people to actually take extended breaks. And it was supposed to obviously reduce the number of toilet breaks that people were taking and the amount of time you could take. But now it seems like it's almost a mandatory 10 minutes before the start of the next set. So um, it didn't it doesn't happen as much at Wimbledon. Uh, I would say, I mean, Iga did that and does that regularly if she loses a set um, because it makes sense from a mental refocus perspective. But it does just feel like it's a, a slightly misuse of the of the rule and not really in the spirit of the game. And for me, I found it quite um, frustrating, you know, that this is happening so frequently. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I did experience it as a person in the crowd at Wimbledon. And I think after, as an audience member, as after a long, tiring set that's gone down to the wire, you almost expect a break. I feel like everyone needs a break, the players, the crowd, just to sort of get back in. Yeah, or get a honey juice. Yes. Um, but so I kind of get it. But when it was like, yeah, six love set, I think that's when it's like, oh, that's a bit strange because so you've been on court it's been 10 minutes. <laughs> quite a quick set and everything seems to be going well. Um, but, you know, you never know what a player's kind of emotional um, status might be or if there's something else going on. And, you know, I when I'm at work in the office, you know, it's nice to go off and have a tea break, isn't it? So, it is. and then I come back refreshed. <laughs> change so, your clothes sh- fully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my seventh outfit of the day for my yes. seventh meeting. Yeah. Yes, she's had a few um, breaks today, Kim. <laughs> so I, d- I don't know. I, f- I feel like breaks, breaks are, you know, nice benefits, but maybe they shouldn't be benefits. Maybe they are, they are rights and maybe, I don't know, they, they need to be, there needs to be a balance, doesn't there? But it's, it's um, blurred. It's blurred. It's it's hard to I think regulate because the stricter you become about it, the the more like infringement you're perhaps doing on someone's you know circumstances. I mean, Daniel Medvedev uh, has also been criticised recently for for taking it a long break. He um, was playing Alex de Menor in his quarterfinal. Dropped the first set, which perhaps surprised some people. So Medvedev got his entire bag off, left the court, and then you know came back with uh, fresh clothes on, took the next three sets to uh, to win. So you know he's also picked up a bit of criticism for um, for doing that. But oh, I kind of feel like you almost expect it these days if you're going to. You gonna really do. I, I top said this seed, on the, losing yeah. of the first set. You know, it's, yeah, it's just I, kind of I said dumb. that on the podcast with um with Ego when she was playing Benchich. 
I was queuing to get back onto centre court and I just knew there was no rush because I knew she'd left the court. And then I got on, sure enough, she'd left. So um, it's a bit predictable. And I think if you know it's going to happen and you aren't the person, <laughs> it's it's a bit silly at that point. But at the end of the day, it's within the rules. And unless the rules change or the interpretation of the rules changes, then um, I guess we'll be much more of a feature that we all get time to make that extra cup of tea before we settle in for the next set yeah exactly so i mean breaks aren't always uh aren't always a, a bad thing um let's let's have a um look at the men's results from yesterday so we had uh novak djokovic in action against taylor fritz and we also had an all-american lineup uh with ben shelton playing francis tfo um Let's look at the Fritz Djokovic match. I was quite intrigued going into this one because I thought, oh, Taylor Fritz has come through very nicely through the draw, barely dropping a set. Well, hadn't dropped a set, but barely dropping games. You know, he'd had a very comfortable pathway um, through, and I think was the only one of the only players to, yeah, not dropped, not dropped any sets. But he just came up against Djokovic, and you know, it's just a very comfortable, you know, six one, six four, six four scoreline. Um, Djokovic, you know, just comfortable, uh, very predictable in the end. Um, was Taylor Fritz just not at the races, Chris? Or was there something in, you know, Taylor Fritz's pathway through that was a bit of a false friend? Because I, I was expecting a lot more from him personally. Yeah, and I think he probably would expect a lot more from himself in many ways, um, especially from his serve. Um, his serve was picked apart by Djokovic, uh, especially the second serve. He won 29% of points on second serve, whereas Djokovic won 66%. Um, break points won, he only took two of 12 chances. He had more break points than Djokovic did, but Djokovic, being Djokovic, took six of nine. So I think the preparation was not ideal coming into it. Um, I think the celebrating about the quarterfinal at a slam, I think he went a little bit overboard because um, I saw on Twitter and then I double checked this. It's actually factually correct that he didn't play a player who had won a tour level hardcourt match this year on his way to the quarterfinals. His first four opponents had not won a match on tour on hard courts, which is kind of crazy when you think about it from a draw perspective. Mm. And it's not, it's not the best you know, preparation to play against probably the greatest player of all time um, when it comes to the results. So I think it was just such a big leap up. And that first set being 6-1, I think it probably was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, he has did have some chances. He had some chances to, to break back when Djokovic was serving for the match. And for me, it's just the difference between someone who is, you know, um, one of the ultimate competitors um, who is able to raise his game in key moments versus someone who's, the challenger hasn't really reached that level when it comes to competition because two of 12 break points, even if it is against Djokovic, um, you really have to think uh, that he's got to be able to do more than that. And, you know, the serve is so important. It's such a big part of his game. So quite disappointing and probably quite hard for him to come to terms with the fact that he has got a quarterfinal, but it's not that big an achievement, really. Yeah, given his opponents hadn't, you know, notched a a hard court win between them um yeah that, that's not not great but and it's always going to be a tool um you know a, a tough ass coming up against Djokovic who you know will be the new world number one uh from next week you know uh, it's that's always a, a difficult um match it's not the easy it, draw in, in if you're having a quarterfinal it's a bad draw yeah and you want to be like primed and ready to go rather than having maybe you know walks in the park prior to that I mean one thing I, I thought was quite amusing um, from Djokovic was um, you know obviously it was it was quite a partisan crowd he's up against you know a, 
home crowd wanting to cheer their their man Taylor Fritz on. So he did have um, a few fans shouting out um, whilst he was going to hit, I think, an overhead. And uh, instead of, you know, maybe having a go at the uh, the umpire or or what have you to, to keep the noise down, he uh, he got his friends to have a chat with uh, with the spectator who uh, made the noise. So he obviously has you know friends in all sorts of places. Does Djokovic, so you can get get them to do his. Um, Careful what you, know, you get... say. You might be sat next to a Djokovic <laughs> uh, friend. <laughs> a friend, yeah. You better not be going around having a having a go at Djokovic because he might have mates in the audience uh, ready to He'll sort have a little you out. Word. Yeah, I mean it's a different <laughs> a way of word. dealing with it, isn't it, Kim? <laughs> I think yeah. it's like it's kind of nice though because I think it shows an appreciation of the fact that and having been at the US Open it's very loud people don't stop talking especially at a night match and I think he said um you know people speak they move around you've got to be ready for that particularly in the US Open especially in the night session so it's, it is kind of just business as usual but obviously you know if someone makes a call that sounds like an out that does impact the game you know that's a that is a big problem but um I will definitely be looking around to make sure that no one is wearing, you know, the Djokovic logo next to me before 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 I clap at a wrong point. <laughs> I would expect better of you anyway, Chris. No, yes. no cheering of double faults at Tennis no, Weekly. We, we don't not. we don't go in for that. Um, but they did have that. The crowd did have um, a slightly more competitive match uh, with Ben Shelton against Francis TFO. This was the first All American quarterfinal since two thousand and five. Um, any guesses, Chris, for who that quarterfinal back in 2005 would have been between? I've got a bit of a clue because Joel tested me on who the, th- is it the three Americans who made it last time? Ah, oh, well, there you go. You're primed. So I've, I've got, I've got three names. It's got to get the right two. <laughs> I think the I, right combination. Was it, uh, Jeanette Pri and Agassi. Did they Ooh, play each other? It was Agassi, but it was James Blake oh, uh, versus honestly, Andre Agassi. I've got three, <laughs> three of the names and two to give. I get it wrong, but <laughs> half of the course I'll do much better. <laughs> yeah, um, but this time, yeah, this this time Ben Shelton has uh, made it through. So getting the better of, of Francis TFO, who is, you know, slightly uh, older than than Ben Shelton. At, at, you know, Shelton being twenty years old, it was four sets. In the end, six two three six seven six six two. I think, it, in a way, I think for me, it kind of hinged a bit on that third set tie break, which you know went nine seven. And uh, I feel like if TFO had got that, it might have been a, a different story, perhaps. Um, but you know, he got broken right at the start of the fourth, so Ben Shelton was able to kind of race through that that fourth set and uh, go into his first Grand Slam semi final. Um, the last person to do that, the last American uh, man of that age to get to the last four was Michael Chang in 92. Wow. Um, so it's been a long, long time for the young Americans. And I don't know, will he be able to go any further? You know, he's got Novak Djokovic next up. So <laughs> can he do any better than than Taylor Fritz? Based on what you saw of Ben Shelton against TFO, do you think he's he's in with even a chance to to spring a surprise if if i'm being really honest i think someone who's in the 47th semi-final versus someone's first i think it's going to be tricky it's such a big moment and i i do think he'll get a set i do think he's going to turn up absolutely um but i do think when it comes down to it it's such a big ask and in this match i think uh he was able to 
to get it done. I think TFO, we talked about this beforehand on the last podcast, that uh, it's very difficult when the whole narrative for TFO last year and on the Breakpoint episode is this amazing story, um, this amazing sort of American story, um, an American dream story in terms of his phenomenal um, rise up the rankings to the semi-final. And then suddenly you're not necessarily the favorite. You're not necessarily the story. This guy's 19, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable story again. And I think it really impacted him because the pressure was on him. And I think at times uh, he was looking not to lose the match uh, rather than win it. Because when he had that set point in that tie break you mentioned, uh, he rolled in an 83 mile an hour um, second serve, no spin, middle of the box, and Shelton absolutely thumped it for a winner. And it's the two sides of it, you know, a 20 year old with nothing to lose, and TFO, who has been there before um, and really, really is expected to win this match. So I think that's a very different situation to playing against Novak Djokovic, where I don't think he really feels the pressure in the same way. I think uh, against Alcaraz, there was definitely some pressure he felt in that final. Um, but I don't. I don't think that a Ben Shelton in the semi-final will provide that same level of pressure for him. Um, and it's it's one mountain too far, maybe. Yeah, I think um, given how I guess vulnerable they were on, on serve in this match with TFO, there's you know so many breaks of serve. I, I just I do think that Djokovic isn't going to have too much uh, difficulty. But you know, unless the heat gets to him, we have seen Djokovic looking quite exhausted at times in, in the heat and the humidity and, and Shelton does have age. Yeah. Shelton does have age on, on him, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, to knock Djokovic off over five sets. Um, to, to be quite honest. What did you think of his celebration? You know, the whole, the phone call thing he's been doing at the end, he's been almost dialing a phone number and answering the call. It's quite a different sort of celebration. Yeah. And, um, he there's a name this time, actually. <laughs> apparently he does it because his friends do it at university and there's a an athlete he trains with um is is i'm not quite sure of, of the kind of the athlete in question a grant holloway yes um, a world champion is he a famous american athlete i've just yes like, yes not he aware is of. indeed okay i'm not, I'm not very tuned in to american this is tennis like, weekly not athletics sports. weekly we're in the clear <laughs> exactly yeah. um but yeah i think it's different I, I mean i quite like shelton's vibe um i really like his outfit as well i'm loving the pink the um, on running vibes yes people yes, gave that a lot exactly. of hate they're like it looks it really looks, yeah, oh. people have said that um it looks like uh, it's it's the worst outfit when it comes to like for how sweaty people get but i'm like it's blooming oh. warm out there yeah. um and I think it just has the same thing as the Asics with Onstrabil, where it does look a black colored or a dark color with the pink, does look a bit a bit sweatier than it might do. But in real life, I thought when Eager was wearing it and he was wearing it in that team set, you know, I thought that was um, uh, pr- pretty snazzy, to be honest. But I guess th- that team match, um, that was very competitive and team was really not feeling well. So it feels like, did he dodge a bullet there, Ben Shelton? Uh, would he have got this amazing run if team had been fit? Because... He only just edged that set against Dominic Team, and that's a very under par Dominic Team. So mm. begs the question. Could all have been very different. Imagine was if it we Dominic were Thiem on in the semi final. 
Yeah, imagine if we were on for Dominic Team against Djokovic. I mean, that would be a, a blast from the past a bit, wouldn't it? So, Good, yeah, fantastic. Um, just before we go for a quick break, a couple of updates from the doubles. Uh, I'm really pleased because Joe Salisbury is back into the semi-finals of the men's doubles with Rajiv Ram. He's, I feel like he's been a, a bit in the wilderness of late, but he's they're the third seed and they've come through. Uh, they got into the semi-finals, so they're still in the hunt. Going for uh, a third consecutive men's doubles title at the US Open. They do love this tournament. And um, one of the podcast favourites, Gabby Dabrowski, she's into the semis of the women's doubles with Erin Routliffe. Down to the wire. Down to the wire there, but a great result for Gabby. It was indeed. And in the mixed doubles, we've got Jesse Pagula and Austin Krychek, number one seeds through to the semi-final. So although Pagula's singles has uh, not quite worked out, she might be on for a mixed doubles title still. Um, But let's take a very quick break now. We'll be back in the second half to look back on all the action so far from day 10 at Flushing Meadows. So do not go anywhere. Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by AG1. And now we're going to move on to looking at today's action from the US Open so far. We have had a completed women's quarterfinal between Arena Sabalenka and Quinwen Zheng. And that ended in a straight sets victory for Arena Sabalenka, 6-1-6-4. She will be the new world number one as of next week. And she is into the semi-finals of the US Open uh, once again. Uh, she still hasn't dropped a set and she's sort of just flying through the tournament, Chris. Do you think she is the woman to beat? Now that she's made her way into semis very comfortably, um, she's the highest seed left in the draw. Is it hers to lose? You have teed me up perfect there, Kim, (laughs) because I predicted her to win the tournament. So I'm feeling very smug right now. But I I honestly think she is the player to beat. Um, And I love the fact that she found out that she was world number one. And she said, you know what? I was hoping I'd have to fight for it in a a tennis match. She loves it. And I think... um, She'll be even more motivated now. She has got the world number one ranking to win the title. And it feels like it's not in any way distracted her. Um, Her game is probably even more solid than Australia based on the matches that I've seen. This one, it was pretty much um, run of the mill from her. Um, I think Jane did a bit better in that second set, but the break was secured pretty early um, towards the middle of that set and then never looked back in on serve. I mean, she's a different, completely different animal this year to, to last year. And... Um, she's playing some fantastic tennis. So I guess for Sabalenka, um, I mean, the key will be, how does she hold up under pressure? Um, she obviously came through in Australia against Jabeur. She had her chances. Um, I think she would probably look back and think that was a match that got away from her. Um, and so based on the tennis that people can play, I think she is. she's the favourite. Yeah, and she's just, you know, her sort of big serve and, you know, the power that she's got. Um, she's just been sort of comfortably kind of moving through the draw and 
you know, what I think is really impressive is she's actually the first player since 2016 to have reached the semi-final at all slams, which, you know, just goes to show how consistent she has become um, at this level. And I think, you know, she fully deserves that that world number one ranking, regardless of if she does go and win this title, you know, she's putting in those performances. She'll be up against either Von Drusseva or Madison Keys, who will be playing later on. Um, so that will be, you know, either one of them will be her next opponent. Um, and I mean, she has a quite a good head to head over both of those players, I, I think. Um, so I, I'd be, I would be tipping Zabalenka to come through, either Von Drusfer or Keys. You know, I know Von Drusfer, Wimbledon champion. She, uh, you know, she's obviously <laughs> continuing in, in good form here. But um, yeah, I think Sabalenka, I think your prediction is still looking good, Chris. Um, and what I liked is that she got a, a nice congratulatory text from world number one, Novak Djokovic, who will, well, he'll also become world number one next week. Um, so quite weirdly, we've got all the world number ones changing next week, which is the first time I think that's happened, I think ever. Is that right, Chris? I think ever. Yeah, I think I think it's, it says the first time in tennis history. So I have to say, uh, this is from the workings of Stephen J. Tennis. So I have to give full credit there. Um, I think it's since rankings began. And so this means that the WTA singles number one from the 11th um, of September. So next week will be Sabalenka, ATP Djokovic. In the doubles, it will be Goff Pagula or Shea Suwei. And for the ATP doubles, it's Krajek, who's still in, in the mixed doubles as well. So it's all to play for this week. And I mean, it's quite fun in the doubles. That's definitely an interesting story because they're currently locked in a third set um, in the battle for the world number one ranking at the moment. So the winner of that, I believe, whether it's Shea or whether it's Goff or Pagula, will take the ranking. And currently, Shea and Wang are up in that match. So all very exciting, adding to the kind of the dynamic for Coco this week. There's never, never a dull moment on, um, well, I mean, they're playing every day, those girls from America. They're really um, getting their tennis hours in. Yeah, but we have seen that before, you know, with players doing well in both the singles and the doubles. So obviously Coco Goff still in both both tournaments, having played um, pretty much every day. But that's probably helping her to just relax and enjoy her tennis as well. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's got to be, you know, got to count for something. We've seen like Krachikova at the French, you know, winning both. And it's, I think it helps players sometimes as long as they're sort of physically not dead. Eager's first run to the French title as well. I believe she actually reached the final with Bethany Matet-Sands that year. Um, would have been 2020, I think, that, that result, um, showing, you know, that she was able to, you know, do both. And I think it helped kind of take the pressure off because, I mean, if you talk about enjoying it on the court with uh, with Pagula, um, Pagula's there to, to enjoy herself. She very much subscribes to that when it comes to playing tennis. You see her smile regularly and obviously Coco really enjoys playing with her. So maybe it's also taking the pressure off because it feels like, you know, you're not doing it by yourself. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd ra much rather have someone out there to to help right, me. Me as your doubles partner, <laughs> be all Kim. alone. Yeah, should we enter the tennis weekly mixed doubles? Wait, where was it going to be? It was going to be down somewhere in the <laughs> south of London. Croydon. The Croydon International. Yeah, yeah we'll, exactly. we'll have to get that going at some point. Yeah. No Sponsored by AG1. <laughs> oh, yes, one sponsor. <laughs> um, well, after taking our AG1, we'll, we're going to be flying around the court. So, Absolutely. Um, 
We also, just talk about Jessie Pagula, we mentioned that she's in the semi-finals of the mixed. That is actually an all-American semi-final because not only is she playing with Austin Krychek, um, who will be the men's doubles number one from next week, like you just said, but they're up against Ben Shelton and Taylor Townsend. So uh, quite a lot of Americans doing doing well in the doubles at, at high levels as well. Ben Shelton. So, ben Shelton also in the semis of both. So he's another player like like Coco, who's having an absolute flyer of a tournament. It does feel like they're a bit, it's a bit Team USA, doesn't it, in some ways, that there is very much a team effort and getting the results, there's a lot of support there for them, which is great to see. And I think seeing these American success stories, I just wish the Brits could do a bit more of this at Wimbledon. You know, I think we've definitely got some talent now. And I think with Raducanu and Bolter back, I think we could definitely, definitely do something a bit special. We've got the doubles talent, that's for sure. And the singles, actually, Davis Cup. We've got a lot of players, haven't we? We do, yeah. And it's actually going to be, who do we not select? You know, uh, there's going to be someone who has to miss out, which is, you know, a much nicer uh, challenge to, I guess, have to think about rather than, oh, who on earth are we going to pick? Because no one's highly ranked enough, for example. Um, But yeah, Team USA, I mean, it's the Olympics in 2024 in Paris. So I guess there'll be definitely thinking ahead with these partnerships you know to who will be the best uh, teams to to put forward um if as long as everyone's sort of up and uh, ready for it yes and we did have one more doubles result actually someone who made a big impact earlier on in the tournament um mm. lara sigmund and von areva who have previously won this title actually they won their doubles quarterfinal today that was five seven seven five six four so that was against azarenka and haddad Meyer. Um, and it makes you think that obviously Haddad Meyer doesn't like a short match. And I, I don't want to know how long that match was, but it definitely seemed like it was a very long one. Yeah, well, Sara Cerebes-Tormo was not involved. So, I mean, if you have her as your doubles partner, you're going to be in for a, a very tiring day, perhaps. Um, but we do have almost, I think, Chris, a result from the men's singles quarterfinal they're playing as we speak it's and Daniel Medvedev edge. it's an, on a knife edge we've sort of got it on while we're recording um he's had a few match points but Andre Rublev is like we're clinging kind of on hoping you take one so we could update you <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were kind of hoping uh that yeah we could give uh, a full actual result because uh, this could age terribly if Rublev stages a say, dramatic oh, comeback. Medvedev has got the win in straight sets and then he ends up losing in five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's looking likely that uh, Rublev's actually got a game point for five all in the third now, but it is looking likely that Medvedev will come out on top. I feel like Medvedev has snuck his way through this draw without much fanfare and it's all been Alcaraz Djokovic, you know, talk and hype and also, I guess, Ben Shelton as the home hope. But Medvedev, I think, you know, Sitting quite pretty, uh, likely to go into the semi-finals. Yes, he's dropped um, like that set against Alex de Menor, but he's you know he's sort of dispatching Rublev, uh, quite a standard scoreline so far. What do you rate his chances? I mean, we've got Alcaraz Zverev to come in the evening session, but do you think Medvedev could do anything to upset maybe an Alcaraz in the semi-final based on what you've seen from him? I think it's it's difficult. Obviously, they. They played um, earlier this year, um, I believe that was at uh, Wimbledon, where he just stood far too far back 
Um, and obviously mm. Alcaraz can hit through the court and he's serving pretty well and, and moving well. And it just was such poor tactics from a matchup perspective. So um, we saw him not really change it up either. So I guess for me, it's a case of, is he willing to adapt his game to come through against an Alcaraz? Um, in that case, I mean, he's played Zverev a lot this year. If he does come through and I mean, he's won most of those results. He lost the most recent one and it's been pr- uh, not the prettiest of tennis. So... I think it would be a case that depending on who wins that match, I mean, in how he adapts his game, because if Alcaraz is playing well, I think we all are aware that Alcaraz would make the final. And I think probably with Medvedev and Rublev, I think we all thought that potentially like their previous quarterfinals, it would be pretty straightforward for Medvedev, which is a good indication he's playing near his peak at the moment. Mm, Yeah, I think so. And I think think it'll be an interesting one, but I, I do think Alcaraz will still like get the better of him but we mustn't forget that Medvedev is a a former champion here you know what, absolutely two years ago it was the year that Emma Raducanu won wasn't it that he um had that sort of very strange win over Djokovic in the final yeah. um but it's always oh, got another match point it's looking likely it will be um Medvedev and we should double down absolutely a straight set victory <laughs> Unfortunately, we'll it does mean know, that Rublev, <laughs> Rublev continues to be the bridesmaid at Grand Slams, you know, reaching He's that quarterfinal mm. yeah, and not going any further. So um, I, maybe Rublev needs a, a Brad Gilbert to, to come along. and He does. He Honestly, he looks so stressed on the court. He's so angry. Um, and he seems like such a nice chap off the court. So you just have to think that maybe he isn't enjoying it as much as he should do. So if it's as easy as just smiling a bit more, then, I mean, I wouldn't pay Brad Gilbert that much money. Tell me that. No. <laughs> um, but so let's just quickly look ahead to tonight. We've got Vondrusva against Keys and then Alcaraz Zverev, as we said. Um, where are you going for those matches, Chris? Uh, Vondrusva or Keys? Vondrusva really had um, a lot of ice and taping on her elbow following her singles win. And I think he, she was quite hampered by that. She's had a, a couple of days. She obviously pulled out the doubles. So I'm thinking Von Drusova won't be able to win that match. And I'm not sure if she'll complete it. Um, I think she'll only complete it if she wins the first set. And Madison Keys is a bit off. But I have to think Madison Keys probably is going to get that one because of Von Drusova's impairment. Yeah. Oh, think? that'd be such a shame. Well, I hope that it doesn't come to that. It'd be such a shame and a real letdown, I think, because I'd love to see Von Dries for, you know, going really deep here as well. Um, but given Keyes's comfort on these courts, you know, she's been to the final here before, I believe. And yes. we know how on her day she's, you know, such a sensational player. So I do think Keyes actually, um, given Von Dries's, you know, potential injury, um, I think it could be straight sets. Yeah, Keys. I think it I think it could be as well, but that would actually be beneficial to you, Kim, because you have Von Drusa for the quarterfinal and collector set. So there would oh, be yes. a silver lining there for you. There would. That is that is true. I knew that was going to happen all along. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Alcaraz Zverev. I'm I'm going to go Carlos in four. What about you? Ooh, Carlos in four. I think probably Carlos in three for me. I think Zverev against um, Sinner. I think although there were some real positives in that match, I don't think it it would hit the heights tennis-wise, if I'm being brutally honest. And I think Zverev announced that he was back with that victory, but I think Sinner was cramping from the second set onwards. So I don't think Alcaraz is going to be cramping. And I think a fully fit Alcaraz is a, is a tougher prospect than a, a cramping Sinner. Mm, no, that, that's fair enough. Yeah, um, I just feel like Zverev might sneak, sneak a set, but I think Alcaraz overall. And then obviously... <laughs> we don't have the full semi-final lineup for the ladies, but we do have 
Coco Goff and Carolina Mukova. So out of those two, who do you think is going to make uh, their first US Open final and, and in how many sets? Oh, I just think that Goff Mukova is going to be match of the tournament. I think seeing them both play, being physically fit, um, there was a bit of taping, I think, as well on Mukova for her last match. But I, I think, oh, I do just think there's something about Coco Goff this year. Um, and I know that we've talked about this with Ons, where everyone thinks something's going to happen and wants something to happen. And then obviously a check can come in any minute and take the dream away. So I think this will be a three set one. I think it will be on, on a knife edge. Oh, I'm going to say Mukova. I really, really do want Coco, but mm-hmm. I also really like Mukova. But I think Mukova can ask a lot more questions than some players can. And in a third set, I think um, she's not going to she's not going to hand you the win. Yeah, well, I'm going to go Coco Golf, I think, but um, two tight sets. Well, I we think do have Goff's a result as well, by the way, Kim. Oh, Medvedev has gone through six four, six three, six four. So we don't have to redo the podcast. That's good. That's a relief. Thanks, thanks, Daniel. Um, <laughs> For getting it done. He made he made hard work of it at the end there. I think having multiple match points, but he has got the job done. So we will see Medvedev awaiting the winner of Alcaraz and Zverev. And one winner we also need to await is the winner of our collector set challenge yes. because um, we do have currently uh, someone on two correct answers. Um, we do but indeed. We've got possibly the potential for someone to get four correct so we've still got um you know a couple of couple of options still open uh the 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 person that's actually currently in the lead is my is my father uh mike mckenzie big shout out can you believe it (laughs) have you been helping him no, I promise this is all above board. Uh, he's currently the only entrant with two uh, correct answers. He was the only person to get Caroline Wozniacki right. So well done, Mike. Um, well done, Mike. <laughs> but we do have three others who could be in for the win, depending on how results go. Well, that's Alexis McCarty, Alicia Hamilton and Linny Pin. Uh, so... Guys, it's it's still possible. Um, and special mention to Tom Bryant and David Blaher, who are the only people to get Sitspass right. Um, because a lot of people, um, yeah, just totally got Sitspass wrong. Yeah. Um, like myself. Me, like both of us. <laughs> um, I, I think out of the three of us, we did do an update last time, Kim. And uh, I had one person I could get right, and that was Carlos Alcaraz. So I'm going for one. <laughs> so your father has already beaten me, and he can still get four points. So that's... Maybe he should host the podcast instead. Maybe he could be our, our fourth co-host. Exactly. It's, I'm sure he'd relish Talking that opportunity. Chris and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that's pretty much us uh, for our quarterfinal roundup. I think special mention to anyone listening from the US. Uh, tomorrow, apparently, at the US Open, it's free entry to, to go into the grounds. So perhaps if you're in that area and you've never been and you want to check it out, uh, or you live near, nearby, might be the perfect opportunity to go and enjoy some tennis. Sounds lovely. I mean, that's a that's a definitely worth going, especially with so many junior matches still going on the outside courts, and you'll have the wheelchair doubles will also be being played. Um, yeah, so well worth a visit. And maybe you could, you know, you've saved on the entry fee, you could splash out on a honey juice. Yeah, tw- it's 22 euros for the entry fee, and you get the honey juice. Euros, <laughs> euros. Chris. <laughs> Dollars. <laughs> what country am I in? Oh, 
even uh, euros not, in Denmark. I <laughs> know oh, you don't even use euros where you live, so no. uh, I don't know where that's come from. <laughs> but listeners, I do hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from Flushing Meadows at the US Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then do make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Tennis Weekly Pod. And do check out our merchandise store on Etsy. It's etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can also email the show, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we'll be back on Saturday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our semi-final US Open catch-up sponsored by AG1. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And we will see you again soon.